Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the 30th day of January 2024. This is episode 849 of Bitcoin, and we're doing something entirely different today. Not going to be any Bitcoin news at all. We will talk a little bit about Bitcoin because it's part of the presentation that I'm going to give you, but this is going to start either the first of three or possibly four shows that are all connected to the same thing, I'm going to talk about what I've been calling the Forest Walker system today, tomorrow, the next day, and possibly Friday and and next Monday. It it depends on how far I get, because I I still want to keep these shows about an hour, right? So we're going to have to figure out how far we get today, but this is an idea that is reaching into science fiction when it comes to natural resource management and the use of Bitcoin to do that, right? This has always been, this show has tried to always be about Bitcoin and other things. Most of the time it's about Bitcoin news, but uh, this one, this one will not get out of my head. This, this idea has been rolling around in my head for well over a year and if I don't get it out soon, it's going to drive me insane. So this is part of this show, or this you know interconnected set of shows. There will be a companion article written. I've got most of the actual verbiage written. It's just now in in a, it's in a draft format, and I've got to edit it down. I don't. I either am going to just publish it on Noster or something through like something like Obla. Or I, I don't know, I might shop it around to a, you know, Bitcoin magazine or something like that. Will they publish it? I don't know, because honestly, what I'm about to present to you today is flat ass crazy. It's absolutely insane. And there's a very poss- you know, very real possibility that there's no such thing as a return on investment of, of this, but I I have this sneaky suspicion that there could be, depending on how this is this whole thing is is done. All right, so I've been talking about this and I'm I've I'm calling it the Forest Walker system. No, there's not going to be a circle P today. We're going to get right into this thing. Um and I'm trying to figure out a, I mean I've got a an outline up here for you know how to do the show and all that kind of stuff. But I'm you know being able to sneak into it is is kind of an art when it comes to shows like this, right? Because you don't know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about because I've been thinking about it for well over a year. You're coming to this with a brand new set of eyes. You have literally no idea 
what the hell I'm spouting off. And the job today is to try and figure out a way to get you into a situation where you understand what I'm talking about, even though it's kind of crazy. And it very much does reach into the realm of science fiction. However, nothing that I present to you today, there's nothing science fiction about it. It, Everything that I'm going to explain to you today could be done. We have the technology. We have the engineering teams. None of what I'm going to talk to you today about is impossible. Yet, it's it still reaches into the realm of science fiction. We're not going to be talking about warp drives or black holes or anything like that. I want you to start thinking about being in a forest. That's where I want you to start. If you have to close your eyes and go, hamana, 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 blah, 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 I'm in a forest, and do the meditation trick to wrap a forest around your mind with trees and shrubs and little critters running through the trees and doing doing the things that all the little critters do, then I need you to do that. And for the guys over in zap.stream, I'm going to give you some visual cues. Here it is. Here's a Google search on, and, and the search term is, for those that are listening, high fuel load forest. Because that's the management I want to talk about today. The fuel load. What the hell is a fuel load in a forest? Okay, we're going to get into that. And we're going to get into a little bit of history of the Ad Council. I know it's, it's bizarre. I'm going all, it seems like I'm going all over the place, but trust me, trust me, trust me. I've got a very good reason for doing all of this. Now, we do start in the forest and, and let's just keep it simple. We'll start in the American forests. Not European, not Thailand, not Australian forest, not New Zealand, not Brazil, not Argentina. United States. United States of America forests handled by the United States Department of the Interior under the United States Department of Agriculture. Right, The USDA is underneath the, the Secretary of the Interior. All right, so the Secretary of Interior does all the national parks, all the national forests, all that kind of stuff. That is all Department of Interior. All right, so that's where we begin. Now, what, what was I talking about when it came to the Ad Council? Well, let me give you a little bit of, let me give you a little primer of what we're talking about here from the whole shebang. And I need to, uh, need to expand this thing a little bit. I'm looking at something on the screen that you can't see. So just trust me. Trust me here. All right, let me uh, get that to full screen for the guys over on Zapstream. And what the guys on Zapstream, the, what they're looking at is a whole bunch of pictures of forests. And some are on fire. Some have already been burned. Some are, you know, not, haven't been burned, but they're definitely going to get burned at one point or another because of the the fuel load, right? So I want to talk about what fuel load is to start this off. Forests, they grow trees. Sometimes the branches on the lower portions of the trees, when they get out of sunlight because the forest canopy gets really dark, they die because they're not needed by the tree. And then eventually they kind of fall to the ground 
right? And so that wood that's sitting on the ground, especially if it remains dry and in places like southwestern Colorado, which is essentially, given its rainfall, is not that far away from a true desert. Even though there's bunches of trees and forests and stuff like that, a desert technically only talks about how much rainfall you get. A lot of the wood in Colorado and, and other forests in the United States, especially in the western states, do they're pretty dry, right? So all this fuel that falls out of the trees, because branches are constantly falling over, over millions and millions of acres, right? They're falling to the forest floor and they're staying there and they are dry and they get tender dry. And what happens when you've got a buildup of fuel anywhere and it catches on fire? Well, the more fuel that catches on fire, the hotter the fire burns. If nobody gives a shit about a little tiny stick about as big as your pinky burning, but you get 5,000 pounds of little sticks that are as big around as your pinky and they're all in a pile and you set that shit on fire. Well, you've got a different deal altogether. And that's where we are in the United States forests. Let's take a little history lesson. In 1944, the Smoky Bear Wildfire Prevention Campaign began in the United States. Only you can prevent forest fires. Remember that? Remember that is like if, if you were a kid, you've probably still, it's still going. This, this ad campaign has been going strong since 1944. Only you can prevent forest fires. And Smokey the Bear with his little forest, you know, ranger hat on and all that kind of shit. Yeah, we thought it was cute, right? But it's actually rather sinister. All the best intentions were meant, you know, meant but it's turned into something else. So where did this come from? Well, this came from a place called the Ad Council. The Ad Council is, it's actually in this one, this particular uh, campaign for the Ad Council is the longest running Ad Council campaign that they've ever done. It, the Ad Council is a United States nonprofit, and it was set up by the American Association of Advertising Agencies and the Association of National Advertisers in 1942, just two years before the, the, the program came out. And it would seem that the United States Department of Interior was concerned about forest fires and wanted them to stop. So they enlisted the entirety of the United States population via the Ad Council. And it worked. I mean, forest fires basically just got shut down in the United States. All of them. We never, I mean, it was policy and still is kind of to this day for the Department of the Interior that if a forest fire starts, we have to shut it down. The loss of property, the loss of life, the loss of natural resources, we cannot allow it. We just can't. And so we don't. And with the help of the Ad Council and the most famous bear in the United States, Smokey, this shit worked. So is that good? No. No, and I'll tell you why. Most terrestrial ecologies on the face of the planet are what's called fire ecologies. They depend on fire to survive, to thrive, to reproduce. Yes, I know it sounds weird. How can burning something down 
make a forest great again. I, it's, it sounds counterintuitive, but it's not. Back in the days before the Ad Council and before Western, or actually humans, doesn't matter whether they were Western, Eastern, Southern Hemisphere, doesn't matter. Before we started meddling around thinking that we knew better than Mother Nature how to manage millions upon millions upon millions of acres of natural resources, Mother Nature did all that shit by herself. And forest fires ranged from one end of the globe to the other, and most forests did nothing but benefit from those fires. And I, the reason that sounds counterintuitive is this. When you see news about a forest fire, in the, at least in the United States, you see utter devastation. And there's a reason for that. And that goes back to what we're talking about. The fuel load. Back before we started thinking we were smarter than Mother Nature, Mother Nature would set forest fires by, oh, I don't know, lightning strikes. Just, just let's start there. That's one of the most common ways the forest fires started. So lightning strikes in the forest, starts a fire. Next thing you know, the fuel load that's there burns out. But because fires always burned, there was never too much of a fuel load to get to a temperature that can cause the utter devastation that you see on the news today. So what you, what's happened to us is we've been programmed through media to see a forest fire and see nothing but the most heinous devastation, whereas that was never the case before we started mucking around with the forest. Forest fires back in the day didn't do any damage to the living trees. Sure, it charred their, their bark a little bit. And some trees didn't survive. That is true. And that would be the weakened trees, the trees that maybe had beetle strike, you know, like pine beetle, or beetle or uh, pine borers and pine beetles and these kind of things that will infest a tree. And those trees would actually just go ahead and, and just straight up die and fall over and become fuel for the next season's, you know, forest fire. But by and large, all of the healthy trees that were above a certain height, like let's say if they were at least 20 feet high, those trees were fine because the fuel load was never heavy enough to get the fire so damn hot that it would ignite a living tree because the tree's got what inside of it? A whole bunch of water. And it's hard to burn wet wood. But it's easy to burn wet wood when you get a fire that's so hot that it turns the water inside of a living tree into steam, and all of a sudden that tree turns into a bomb. Yes, trees explode in forest fires. When the forest fire gets hot enough, trees will explode because it just it just turns all the water into them. It's steam because it just gets to a certain temperature and it just can't it can't do anything but expand. And you know what happens? When you've got steam that expands inside of a pressure vessel, if the pressure vessel cannot take it, that pressure vessel will explode, and so do trees. That's the devastation we all see nowadays. So therefore, we're even more inclined to take the side of the Department of the Interior and say, no more forest fires. But every time that we put out a forest fire, we don't take care of the fuel load in the forest. And because of that, the next fire, 
and there always is a next fire, has more fuel to burn. Until we get to a point where a forest fire ignites and there's not enough men, equipment, water, or money that's going to put that son of a bitch out. And the Yellowstone fires in the or the Yellowstone fire in the early 80s that destroyed vast acreages of old, you know, really old forest. Now, I won't say old growth, but really old forest in Yellowstone National Park. That's why we kept putting out the fires. The fuel load got heavier. And finally, it's going to burn and it's going to burn uncontrollably. And we lost huge, major portions of Yellowstone National Forest. Okay, so that's the scene. That's what I'm talking about. We need to, I, I, I don't want to say it that way. Well, I was about to say, we need, we need to solve this problem. We need, to, we need to get rid of the fuel load, right? Well, I don't want to put couch it that way. I want to look at it as fuel load. What, what is it that we all know and love that uses fuel? Especially the kind of fuel that is not easily, you know, put into one single spot and has a really high density. Something that we all know and love that that seeks renewable resources, uh, seeks low density fuel, uh, seeks fuel in places that there's not a whole lot of people. What could that be? And if you haven't figured it out by now, then you haven't listened to this show nearly enough. So. Here we go. We'll go ahead and say it. It's Bitcoin mining, just just so that we can get it off the table. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for a way for Bitcoin miners to be leveraged and utilized in a way that makes sense in the context of suppressing future forest fires and doing that by utilizing the fuel that is already there in the forest, waiting to be gathered right? How do we do it? Well, what I'm proposing is the creation of the forest walker. And the forest walker is a machine. And it's part of a system of machines, right? So what are you, what am I thinking of? And I'm going to, I'm going to get another uh, search up here for the guys uh, legged. Okay, so I put up another set of pictures for the guys in Zap.Stream that is showing what something that's called the Legged Support System, or actually it's called the Legged Squad Support System. This was an autonomous walking machine from your friends and mine over at Boston Dynamics. You know, the guys that make scary robots, the guys that are just one step away from, you know, arming a bipedal soldier and, you know, throwing it out on the battlefield and, you know, having it kill all, you know, we're, we're talking about Skynet. You know, the Boston Dynamics guys, we, we always give them shit. But it, back in, what was it, 2015? Let me uh, get into my notes so I can find it. Uh, yeah, about around 2012 to 2013, Boston Dynamics, in conjunction with DARPA, 
Yeah, another another one of our friends. And the Marine Corps, the United States Marine Corps, built a quadruped, so like, you know, four legs, a quad quadruped robot, and it was about the size of a cow. Okay, your standard field cow. You're driving, you know, in Ohio and you see a bunch of cows and you say moo, it's about that size. Okay. It was designed to carry about 400 pounds of weight. Now, this thing was fitted with a motor, a gasoline-burning engine that would in turn power a hydraulic pump, had onboard computers and onboard sensors, and all of that was to do the following. To be fitted with a whole bunch of equipment, like, you know, extra ammo, water, food, maybe extra fuel for itself, but 400 pounds worth, and tasked to go around and basically be the pack mule for a Marine Corps squadron out in the field of battle. The problem is, in 2015, this thing was scrapped. The whole project was scrapped, right? And the reason was because it made a lot of noise. And if you've got a squad... (laughs) of men out there in the field and you don't want the enemy to know what their position is, you probably don't want to put something that makes a whole shit ton of noise next to them, right? Plus it was a really difficult to repair out in the field, but what it was able to do was all by itself without a tether to electricity, without actually having somebody having to guide it through the forest all by its lonesome. It would walk and be able to understand where the squad was, stay a certain distance away from the squad, navigate its own the train all by itself because it had the sensors. It was had like, you know, well, I guess at that time, some version of machine learning. And it was able to completely navigate, you know, over concrete, asphalt, but it could also go into forests and it could walk over branches, Right. So it could do all that all by all on its own. But again, they scrapped it. My what I'm thinking here is that something like that be built again. Whether getting a hold of the Boston Dynamics guys, seeing if they want to, you know, crank the whole idea up again. That's not really I mean, I can think about that, but I'm not I don't want to get into how we resurrect that. I'm just saying that something has already been invented that actually will walk through a forest all by itself, completely unattended, just given a bare amount of instructions, like go over there, right? So let's start with that. So now we have something that's a quadrupedal, very stable. It can walk up and down hills. It can actually walk up and down pretty steep hills, you know, but it it does just fine, clearly, on, on regular flatter land. So the forest has that. It has valleys and mountains and hills and all kinds of shit to walk over. There's there's tree stumps that you got to navigate around. There's all kinds of stuff. So we have this system already purpose-built that will be able to do that. Okay, so let's stick one in the forest and add a couple of things to it. First, we got to add a branch chipper. You know, small branch chipper. Doesn't have to be, you know all that big because here's the thing with fuel loads i'm not suggesting that we get rid of whole trees that have fallen in the forest why because that should come later plus 
chances that that catches on fire and stays on fire all by itself is minimal. Why? Because the surface, the way wood burns, the surface to volume ratio, surface area to volume ratio makes a lot of uh, impact into whether or not something's going to burn. Like, have you ever tried to just start a log on fire with a, with like a big lighter? It doesn't work. So what do you do? You get kindling and you burn the kindling and then you get a little pile and you start it on fire and then you slowly add more and more sticks to it and then bigger sticks and, and you have to actually sit there and work it until it gets hot enough that you can put a regular size log over it and have any hope in hell of getting that log to burn. So I'm not after the huge, you know, big fallen trees. I don't care. There's enough fuel in the forest without me worrying about big, huge, massive trees that have fallen over in the forest. I worry about them catching on fire through the mechanism of kindling. And that's why I, this system, all it really needs to do is be able to identify and start getting and using small branches that are on the floor. Not even like masses of pine needles, just little sticks. And throwing it into a little chipper shredder that is on board of the legged squad support system, or at least whatever it is that we read, you know, that would be redesigned from that. The chassis is what I'm going to call it from now on. The chassis that we hang all of the rest of this stuff off of is the legged support system. And I'm going to go back here to these uh, pictures of the forest for the guys over in Zaps.Stream. And thank you, Kid Warp, for the 2,100 sats. Thank you, Tim, for 21. And thank you, Yegro, for 121 Satoshis. All right. So we got a chipper. And don't worry, because I know some of you are going, how are you going to run it? It's all by itself out in the forest. How are you going to run the chipper? We'll get to it. I promise. I, I literally, I, I promise we'll get to it. Um, But... We hang a chipper off this thing, and you th- this system should be smart enough to identify and size appropriate sticks that will go into the chipper and anything larger, because this is all pre-programmed. This is all part of our quote-unquote artificial intelligence and machine learning. This Nothing about what I'm saying is impossible, but nothing about what I'm saying is easy either. All right, so let's just let's put that on that shit on the back burner. So I got a chipper. We take small branches, little tiny sticks, throw it in the chipper, and get this shit milled down to something a little bit more manageable and easier to work with size-wise. Why? Well, all of a sudden, this is the first component that we need to be able to manage the fuel load of the forest because we're getting it off the forest floor. And guess what? A human is not involved in this. This is happening all by itself, completely unattended. Sure, monitoring will have to happen, but the idea is that humans aren't out in in the forest doing this. Right? This is happening all by the forest walker itself. We just set it and forget it. It just run, it goes out there and it starts finding sticks and it starts putting it through its onboard small branch chipper slash shredder, if you want to use it that way. Why? Because we need to feed a system that is also onboard the chassis that converts this very 
undense fuel into a more dense fuel. And that exists. The, the, what I'm about to describe 100% exists. And it's existed for a very, very, very long time. It's called gasification. And what we need to have also on board the chassis, along with the chipper shredder, is what's called a gasifier. Now, when I first saw gasification, I like I saw videos. Somebody had said something about it, and I was like, yeah, sure. Running cars off of burning wood. I called BS like harder than anybody that you've ever heard call BS something because I didn't believe it. It just it totally doesn't make sense that you can turn burning wood into a fuel that you use like propane, like natural gas, like methane, right? It didn't make any sense to me. Well, I was wrong because gasification, ladies and gentlemen, has actually been around for quite a while. And let me see if I can, if I can find. Yeah, here's, here's my note, the notes that I've been taking is that in this particular case, once we've got this, you know, we've got this thing walking around the forest, we've got it selecting sticks off the ground because it can see it and then has like, you know, the ability to gauge its relative size and diameter says yes and picks it up with a hydraulic actuated forearm and shoves it into a hopper. And that hopper leads directly into the chipper shredder because the chipped biomass will be continually fed into this gasification process. And what it does, what here's what gasification does. It reacts carbonaceous material at high temperatures in a low or no oxygen environment, converting the biomass into biochar, wood vinegar, heat, and syngas, also known as synthesis gas. We're going to use syngas for right now. That's the most important part for right now, syngas. What is syngas? It's predominantly hydrogen, carbon monoxide, and methane, all of which are extremely useful fuels. Yes, carbon monoxide. They say, oh, but you're going to be carbon monoxide poison. You need a carbon monoxide monitor. No. Yes, it will kill your ass, deader than a hammer, that's for sure. But what they never say is that carbon monoxide itself is highly flammable. It's highly flammable, which makes it what? It makes it a very useful fuel. Hydrogen. Hydrogen burns. Did you ever see a picture of what the hell happened to the Hindenburg? If you don't know what happened to the Hindenburg airship, please, 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 for the love of God, go find out what happened to the, to the Hindenburg and realize that it was completely filled with hydrogen to make it lighter than air. Hydrogen itself is a very useful fuel. And then we come to methane. Methane, as we all know, is natural gas. And if you are lucky enough to have a natural gas stove, you've got the ability to cook food all the time on very cheap source of fuel. So we get methane, we get carbon, carbon monoxide, and we get hydrogen, all of which we can burn as a fuel in a what? An internal combustion engine. (laughs) Now, What's critical is that this is a continuous feed system. 
this legged support set or the chassis with all of the gear that we're talking about is walking around continuously in a forest looking for not only the most undense fuel you will ever find in your life, but it's spread out across many, many acres. And all this thing does is basically graze on dead wood. And as it grazes on that dead wood, it's converting it into fuel. Sounds a lot like what a cow already does. Except the cow eats grass, this thing actually eats straight up wood. But essentially, we're doing the exact same thing. Now, as the syngas is converted or, or is being produced from the gasification process, right? because it does work, that syngas is then being fed into an internal combustion engine. What do you think the internal combustion engine is connected to? An AC generator. Well, probably a DC generator with a power inverter on it, but let's just call it an AC generator and just be done with it. It's producing AC electricity continuously because this thing is continuously grazing on wood in the forest, depleting the forest fuel load and the ability for kindling to ignite larger pieces of wood, which then in turn causes the majority of our problems. All we need is the small shit. So that's what it's doing. So while it's continuously chipping little branches and that biomass is continuously being fed into a gasification process and that gasification process is continuously producing syngas and that syngas is continuously being thrown into an internal combustion engine and that internal combustion engine is constantly turning an AC generator, we have constant and consistent electrical power to run what do you think? <laughs> what do you, what do you think? What do you think we're going to run? Huh? Huh? What do you think we're going to run? We're going to run Bitcoin miners. That's exactly what we're going to be doing. But before we even get all the way over there, let's talk about something else. And I want to, I want to make sure I'm, I'm good on time. Okay. So we're about 34 minutes in. So this, this show that I was planning on doing for like getting through the entirety of how the, what the system is before we do anything else is probably going to be two shows. So just be prepared because the only way that I can really get into this and really make it plain for everybody is to go through these components one by one. So we're, where are we at? We're, we've already got the, we've, we've got the chassis, we've got the chip or shredder, and we've got, we, we, we've, we've got the uh, gasification process so, and then we know what happens after the gasification process, but just before that, I want to talk a little bit more about gasification because it's important to understand that this is not something that's science fiction. In fact, this shit goes all the way back to 1699. That's right. 1699. It's very old. A man named Dean Clayton He first started experiments on gasification in 1699. It wasn't until 1901 that gasification was first used to power a motor vehicle. And this wasn't just a one-off thing either. By the end of World War II, there were 500,000 syngas-powered vehicles in Germany alone due to fossil fuel rationing during the war. 
the global gasification market was $480 billion in 2022. It's projected to be worth $700 billion by 2030. And this is all according to Vantage Market Research. So gasification is a proven technology and it will work just fine as the conversion, the, the, the bridge between a very undense fuel such as wood scattered about on the forest floor into a much more dense and usable fuel format like syngas, which is hydrogen, carbon monoxide, and methane. And I just to just to get you understanding how what wood is. See, this is one of the things that I'm always surprised at just how much it is that I don't know about the world around me. When when wood burns, what do you think is burning? I that's the question that I started asking myself. What is it that you think burns? When you throw wood into a uh, into a fireplace and you start burning that wood for heat, what do you think is actually igniting? If you tell me, well, duh, Dave, it's it's the wood that's burning. Kind of. Kind of. You're almost there. It took me a long time to get here. It took me a very long time to get here. The question becomes, what the hell is wood made out of? And that's where we get the full understanding that gasification is not pie in the sky. It's not tinfoil hattery. It's not bullshit. It actually works and has been working for years and years and years. Think of wood like a candle. Okay, a candle, like a regular wax candle. It's got a wick through the, like a, a we'll call it like the, the tabletop candles, like a, you know, the elegant candle, the, the taper is what they call it because they taper. They go, they're long and slender and they go up and they're in the little candlestick holders. Yeah, yeah, that shit. So there's a wick that goes through the center of it, and then the whole thing is encased by wax. What burns? Is it the wick? No. If it was only the wick that burned, well, you'd have a shitload of melted wax underneath that son of a bitch, and it would happen really, really quick because the wick doesn't have that much mass to actually burn. That's not what's going on here. When you light the wick, it burns the wick up into the point that it melts the wax closest to it, and then that wax gets hot enough to do what? Vaporize. What's in that wax is hydrocarbons. And it's the hydrocarbons that are burning, but they're only burning because they are volatilized by the action of heat. You need heat to start the chain reaction. So you light the wick, and for a little bit, the wick burns. That's why it turns black. But after that, it's not burning the wick anymore. The wax that's melting is coming up the wick and then is vaporizing. And now you've got volatilized hydrocarbons like natural gas. Of course, in wax, the the hydrocarbons are heavier, but they still burn. But they won't burn as a solid mass like a log of wood. They have to be brought up to temperature like a log of wood, which is why you use kindling. In wood, we have the same thing. But think of, a, think of a log of wood as not only the wick of the candle, but also all of the wax all at the same time. It's all together. It is stru- it's like it has a structure of a wick, but that wick itself carries all the fuel. 
And that fuel is in the form of like lignin and all kinds of other large hydrocarbon compounds. And just like wax, when they get brought up to temperature, they become combustible. And that's exactly what happens. They combust. And that's why the gasification process works. But in this case, the gasification process doesn't use open fire on the fuel. It heats up fuel to a temperature, which means you got to start, you got to have fuel to begin with to be able to get all the stuff inside the, the burn chamber or, or the gasification chamber up to temperature. But once you get it there, it starts producing syngas and then you can pipe that shit right to an internal combustion engine. Like like you, you've seen people convert gasoline engines that work on butane or propane or methane. It's the same thing. There are, there are whole conversion kits that are not, it's not that hard to, to turn over an entire gasoline generator to using Syngas and people are doing that and have been doing that for years and they're running whole generators off of biomass and not cow fart biomass. I'm talking like straight up wood. And you would, you know, chip the wood down, you get it up to temperature, it starts to gasify. Now you've got syngas. So I'm hoping that what I've been able to do right there is get you to get over the hump of the thought that you there's no way that you can burn a log of wood and run a car. Yes, you can. They did it 500,000 times in Germany back in World War One, which was before you were born. And the very first experiment with all this shit was 1699. So this is very old and tried and true technology. And yes, it will work as a fuel source, as a fuel converter for the Forest Walker system. But there's another situation that's going on in the forest that, that causes really bad forest fires to happen. Sure, there's fuel on the ground. It's all over the place. <clears throat> but there's also fuel in the trees that are living that would not normally be affected by a mild forest fire, but they have what sticking out of them that haven't fallen to the ground yet? Dead branches. And this causes two problems. One, it has, you've got trees that from ground all the way to crown or where all their leaves are, you've got a ladder of fuel. We call it fuel laddering. So you've got a forest fire comes through. Is burning stuff on the ground and all of a sudden it sees this tree that's got these dead branches hanging off the side and it says yum and it starts feeding on that fuel too and then that heats up the branches above it and then they ignite and then that heats up even faster the branches above that and blah 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 snickety stackety stack and you're into the living tree crown and if you're in a pine tree crown that shit's really ignitable especially if it's a drier forest. But because that shit shouldn't be there in the first place for various reasons that I'll get into, we now have a path from the fire on the ground to the fire in the crown. And I'm going to put up a picture of it uh, for the guys over at zap.stream. That's when you get into some serious shit. Because once you get a crown fire going on, that's when all the really bad stuff starts happening. That's when tree when trees start dying, start exploding. That's when whole different weather patterns can be made because of the just sheer amount of heat being generated from these fires. That's what I'm talking about. <clears throat> 
Okay. So why is it that those things are still there? Why, why is it that you see dead branches in, in next time you go to a forest, start looking for this stuff, start looking how much dead fuel is on the ground. How many dead branches are coming out of the sides of trees? That's those dead branches in those trees should not be there, but why are they there today? Why weren't they there a hundred, 200, 300, 400 years ago? Because in North American forests, we had what was called macrofauna. Great big creatures like the giant beaver, which was as big, and I shit you not, as a grizzly bear. We had great big armadillos. We had mastodons running through the forest. We had giant elk. We had giant, probably badgers. There's, I mean, uh, let's see if I can actually, hold on for a second. Let me see if I can get to another part of my notes and see if I can get a, I think I've got a list here. Yeah. Um, Here's the list of during the last ice age in North America, the, we were, there was a population of these giant mammals. There were mastodons, there were woolly mammoths and rhinos there were short-faced bears, there were steppe bison, there were caribou, there was muskox, there was giant beavers, there were camels here, giant camels, great big camels. There were gigantic ground-dwelling sloths, there was something called a glyptodon, which was a basically looks like a freaking huge armadillo, and there were dire wolves, and they were everywhere. And it's just like, could you imagine a 12-foot tall you know, woolly mammoth or a 12 foot tall, we'll call it a 12 foot tall, uh, short faced bear and a 15 foot tall mastodon and or woolly mammoth get scared and they're next to a forest and they run into the forest. Do you think that they're not going to completely cleave off all the dead branches in uh, that are on these trees as the years progress Every single thing on the side of these trees is going to be cleaved off to a height of about what? 20 feet. Well, now a fire can come in and burn just the ground and it's 20 feet away from the next source of fuel. So that's why there weren't crown fires back in the day. As long as there wasn't enough fuel to actually ignite a living tree, in which case that's a different story. But we've lost all these mammals across the world, but we're still talking about just North American forests. So now our forests are filled with not only a shit ton of fuel on the forest floor that we got to do something with, otherwise forests are just going to continue to burn down to ash and become a moonscape. Now we've got fuel on the sides of every single freaking tree. And that's a laddering event for a fire to go from the ground to the crown. And like I said, that's bad. So what do we do about that shit? Well, branch drones. The branch drones is part of the forest walker system. And all it is, is a heavy enough drone that whether or not it continuously flies, or it's a drone that can cling to the side of a tree, identify a dead branch and use an implement to saw it off and let it fall to the ground. I don't care. I don't care if it flies I don't care if it crawls. I don't care if it swings through the trees. But again, this is not impossible. Doesn't mean it's easy, but it's not impossible to do what I'm saying. 
So where does it get its power from? Is it got like, you know, I mean, does it have its own engine? Nope. It's got a battery. Well, where does it charge up at? The forest walker lands on the back of the forest walker, plugs into a charging port because the forest walker has an AC generator. It can charge batteries, which be converted to DC, but whatever you get my point. There's electricity on board. So as these things are flying around, it says, Oh God, I got, I got 20% electricity. So it goes back, finds the nearest forest walker because it knows where it is because this is all computer controlled, lands on the back, plugs in, recharges its batteries, and each forest walker should carry like, you know, two or three of these things. And they just continuously fly through the forest and they literally prune all the dead wood off the tree from ground level all the way up to 20 feet, just like it used to be. What about all that dead wood? Isn't that part of the forest? Isn't that part of the forest thing? Hold on. Um, yes, but what system do we have? We've got the forest walker that's already around there trying to identify branches that it can put into the chipper and take it through the gasification process to turn it into fuel to feed an internal combustion engine that in turn rotates a generator that makes electricity. And that electricity powers the hydraulic pumps on the forest walker system. It charges the batteries of all the drone or the brand, what's called what I'm calling the branch drones that all they do is seek out branches that are sticking out that are dead and sticking out on the side of these trees and saw them off. And it's just a continuous feeding frenzy. So we've got a forest walker. We've got two or three of these drones that are walking around. And if you have a low time preference and just let this thing do its job in the little tiny area that it does its job in, it cleans up all the wood, all the wood off the side of the trees, except for like the great, the biggest branches, you know, that's when, you know, if it's like the size of, you know, oh, I don't know, like a, I want to try to say like as big around as your thigh, probably not. We'll probably leave that on. And I think that that would be okay. We really just need to get the majority of this stuff off. But all of this undense fuel is now being converted to a much denser form of fuel and being utilized to make electricity that drives all the computers. It drives the hydraulic pump system so that the thing can walk around. It's charging batteries so that the branch drones can get all of its charge so that it can go do its thing. And it's a continuous feeding mechanism in the forest. It does it all by itself. It continuously gathers the fuel and converts it into things that cannot burn or doesn't burn very well because it's taken all the fuel out of it already and used it to do all the other stuff. So, but we're going to have electricity that's left over. Because this thing's not running through the forest. It's like a cow. It slowly walks. So we don't need that much electricity. To We don't need that much hydraulic pump activity. We really don't. And because of that, we do, it's not going to be sucking down a shit ton of electricity. The branch drones would probably be using more electricity than the actual forest walker and its chassis walking around the forest. Because it's not, it's going to have to take some time on station to get all this stuff actually chipped up and sent through the system. And then it just slowly moseys its way through the forest. And as it does so, there's less 
fuel load behind it than there is in front of it. And that's what we're after because now we've managed the forest. We've helped manage the forest. We've done the Department of Interior's work for them. And what what else happens after that? Now, now the forest is in a much better condition to be able to take on a forest fire and not have a catastrophic outcome because there's not branches in the tree that allows laddering to the crown. There's not enough fuel on the ground to start a bigger fire with the great big massive logs that are on the ground that we're not going to worry about. We're just worried about the small branches. This is the most undense fuel anybody has ever seen. Let's see. Where, now, I'm just checking to see where we're at. Okay. <clears throat> okay, so that's sort of the outline of the system. But there's questions. There's a lot of questions about this whole system. I can feel you with your questions. If you have questions and you're listening in zap.stream, feel free to drop a question into the chat because I know you have questions. Because I still have ongoing questions as to how to make the rest of this thing work. I'm not done by any stretch of the imagination with this, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm literally not done. I'm just saying that I want to take a pause and I want to collect my thoughts. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pause the audio for the guys that are going to be listening to this uh, as a podcast on the Bitcoin and podcast. And then I'm going to jump in here in a few seconds. Okay, so I'm back. I just needed to take a little bit of a breather. I found while I was gone, uh, I found a, a really good picture of what I was talking about. Of course, you guys that are just listening to audio audio only aren't going to be able to see it, so I'll describe it. But for the guys over at zap.stream, they can see this thing. And it's basically showing a picture of a forest. And it's just like, you know, a few trees in the forest. It's sort of like you're kind of in the thick of things. But all the trees that are being shown from ground to crown are ringed with multiple layers of small branches that are Frickin' dead. Dead, dead, dead. Not because the tree's dead, but because as the forest canopy, you know, starts getting thick, denser and denser and less and less light can penetrate into the forest, trees aren't capricious. They're not just going to let something live that it, that's not producing any sugars out of photosynthesis. So it essentially kills that branch. And it was up to the mastodons and woolly mammoths to take that shit out. But in this particular picture... It, they're all over the place. They're just waiting for a fire to say, hey, come come, ladder up into my crown and let's, let's get this party started. And none of that shit should be there. It's completely, completely unnatural because all of the big, massive macrofauna that we used to have, they're all dead. So now we got to take the place of this shit. Now, I'm not saying that from a you know, ecological, greeny, left-leaning, I believe in, you know, we're all going to die because of carbon dioxide. You know me, I don't believe in any of that crap. I see an opportunity. And that's what I'm describing to you right now, is there's an opportunity to take advantage of this very undense fuel and at the same time, make forests more resilient and put them back on the path to be able to experience a forest fire because they have to, for reasons I'll get to here in a sec. They have to have a fire, right? But let's get to the Bitcoin mining portion of this, which I'm 
actually happy to say is not the major reason for this system. It's part of how this system works, but it doesn't necessarily need to be there for this system to work. I just don't think that there is a way that I could utilize all the energy of all the dead crappy wood in a forest, given the description I've just given you, just by driving hydraulic pumps and charging batteries for these little drone guys to to run around and find dead branches on sides of trees and prune them off. We're going to have an excess of electricity. We're going to have an electricity budget. And I don't think for a second that the systems involved in this in the forest walker system without bitcoin mining make up a majority of all the electricity that can be produced so therefore we have an excess of electricity being generated what do we do with electric with excess electricity we mine bitcoin and your first question should be anybody in the uh anybody in the zap dot stream chat want to chime in I'll give you I'll give you a couple of uh hint. I'll give you a hint. We're out in the middle of a forest. Mining Bitcoin. Yep, that's right. We're 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 a hundred miles away. A hundred miles away from civilization. Any anybody? Anybody? Nope. Okay. How are you gonna get the data? You're in the middle of a forest. Shit, you're probably, these things can operate deeper into a forest than you've ever gone hunting if you're a hunter. And they can stay there for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. How are they going to get their internet connection? (laughs) Huh? How are they going to get their internet connection? They're not. There's no internet connection. And for those of you who say, well, I'm sure at one point or another cell phone coverage. No, you know, forget about that shit. That, that, no, 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 no. Right? We've got a situation where we can mine Bitcoin, but we're going to need, hold on for a second, I got something weird happen. We're going to need a way to get the block data. We're, we need the chain. Okay, so each one of these is fitted out with a miner. Maybe two. I don't want to get into the, the into the how much wattage are we going to use? How much wattage can we generate? I don't want to do that right now, right? Because that's that's for that's for later on down the road. But these things can be fitted out with miners. Yes, we can generate a, a, enough electricity. Depending on the generator size and how much it weighs, we can do at least a couple. And if we do it the right way, we may be able to do even more hash power. But we'll get to that. I'll. Think about that one way later. But for now, so we've got these, you know, this thing fitted out. The forest walkers walking around. It's guy is, is, uh, it's guys, it's guy is, you know, this guy is already walking around. It's converting fuel and it needs to be able to get a hold of chain data. And the grinder basically answers the question, satellite connection. Correct. That's absolutely correct. And it's already used for container mining. Again, the grinder gives that to me. That's also correct. Right. So I've got this thing. It's walking around the forest. It's chomping down the fuel load of the forest. And it's uh, mining, mining Bitcoin because we have satellite connection. 
Okay, I buy all of that, except for the major question that comes right now. How much effect do you think one of these things is going to have? None, which is why we need 500 or 5,000, a herd. The Forest Walker system is a system. It's not a single individual thing. It has to be a system. It has to be a networked herd of forest walkers in order for A, this to do anything at all when it comes to affecting the outcome in the future of American or worldwide forests by reducing the fuel load. Because we've changed our environment so much over the past 500 years, actually the past 10,000 when you think about it, we're, we are talking about these critters that were walking around cleaning off all these branches. That was the last ice age. What was that, 12,000 years ago? Somewhere around there? Yeah, we've changed our environment in the last 12,000 years. I guarantee it. Be that as it may, one of these things does not work. It takes hundreds. And of course, you'll get, we'll, and, and I'm thinking about this too. How much is this shit going to cost? I don't know, dude. And because I don't know, there's a problem with what's the return on investment. I don't know. But what I do have is some revenue models. We'll talk about that later. But for right now, we've got one. We need many. We've got one that mines Bitcoin. We've got one that has a satellite connection. And therefore, it can get, it can download and upload chain data. Okay, so we can do that. And and that's not easy, by the way. It's not. If you're in a forest, how... You know, depending on the density of the canopy, just how much satellites do you think you're going to be able to see? Because that's how that shit works. It's line of sight. Okay. So now we've, we've got another problem on our hands. Now we're, now that we've gone up from just having one to having two or hopefully thousands walking around in the same area really actually doing a physical job of cleaning up and getting rid of all this fuel, we need a way for all of them to talk together. We need all of them to be able to share the Bitcoin chain data. We need all of them to be able to circulate the chain data between themselves, and we need to be able to get their hashes back and back up to the chain so that they have a hope in hell of being able to solve, well, not solve. There is no solving. They're out there flipping coins to try to find the hash that actually is a a functional hash that will actually get them the coins, right? Or we can just plug the whole thing into a pool. We can do that too. But we've got thousands. So, and and most of them are going to be under canopy. But every forest... And especially depending on how we start looking at this, let's say we've got 500 of these critters that are walking around doing their job. What we really need is one specialized forest walker that is the communications walker. And that's the one whose programming is different. It's not looking for wood. It's not, you know, it's not hosting, you know, drones or whatever. What its job is, is to find parts in the forest 
that have the most access to line of sight to the sky. And it is the one that actually communicates herd data to and for, well, it, it, to, it, it, it becomes the conduit between the satellites in the sky and the data that's offered there and the herd takes data from the herd and throws it up into the sky looking at the satellite because that's its job is to find a break. That's all it does. And it continuously stays as close to the herd as possible. And the herd in turn stays as close to the communications walker as possible. They work in tandem. But how do you connect all these things that are in the forest? You're not running wires between them. Mesh network. This is where mesh network shit comes in. Each one of these critters is fitted with something like the, oh, I got it. Should have, I should have had it up. Let me see if I can uh, get a couple of names. I'm looking for a brand name here. Oh, come on. Ah, I'm not getting the one that I want. I'm not getting the one that I want. I'm not getting the one that I want. There, well, there are there are actually several systems. The one that I'm uh, actually hold on. I got one. I got a trick up my sleeve. Hold on, let me, let me look at one thing here. Work. Um, Hold on, I'm looking for something here. Do do do. See, multi voice is one. Gotenna. That's the one I was thinking of. If you, you've probably heard of Gotenna, because back in the day, a bit, you know, back in a few years ago in Bitcoin, the CEO of Gotenna was a pretty heavy Bitcoiner. I don't know if she still is. I haven't heard from her in a long time. But we were starting to talk about the possibility of sending transactions via mesh network. That idea has never left my head. And now this is the perfect place for this idea to be installed. So all these things, they have electricity. So therefore they can power a a little Gotenna. They're not big. They don't take a lot of power. And all it does is connect every single unit to every other single unit, or at least to like maybe three or four in a mesh network, very much like think of how the, the lightning network is connected together. But it all funnels to and through the communications walker that is always in communication with the satellite. And if like, for instance, like, let's say, I don't know, let's say something happens and, and the communications walker somehow or another loses connectivity to the satellite. Well, a break mining command is sent to the entire field and they stop mining so that they don't put too much tax, you know, any taxation on the miners if they're not going to be able to communicate their, their, their data. These are the ways that we start to think about systems level thinking. That's what this is. It's systems. It's easy to think about one, but one doesn't ever really do anything. You need hundreds of either these things are hundreds of people cleaning up a beach in case of an oil spill, whatever it is. Not just one person or one entity can actually affect a thing. You need hundreds, if not thousands, and they all need to be organized 
And in this case, the organization is around the blockchain. It's around Bitcoin mining and it's around being in communication with a satellite because they're off in the middle of nowhere doing their thing all by themselves. Maybe every once in a while, somebody who is a human being and actually hired and this is their job and they love being in a forest and they love hanging out with mechanical critters goes out and checks on them, maybe fixes some stuff because things are going to break. Yeah, uh, Anon says Gotenna. There is. Um, So this is the way that we coordinate hundreds of these things. Now that we're up to the scale of hundreds, if not maybe a thousand, we really do need to start looking at cost and ROI, right? I mean, we, we can't just be all science fiction all damn day long. Now, again, there's no way to know how much this shit costs. This is an idea. This isn't something that I'm pitching to a VC. This isn't something I'm pitching to 1031. This is an idea. And it's the whole thing about this. The, the reason I even bring it to you is like, you're like going, David, why are you even wasting your fucking time? Because this is the way that we need to start thinking about extraordinary use cases for Bitcoin. Not just... Let's go over to the African village and give them light because they've got a river and a waterfall. Listen, natural gas. I mean, I'm not saying that all these ideas are dumb. None of them are. They're all wonderful ideas. But one, one of the things that I've noticed is that Bitcoin mining has gone, started from the most dense energy usage points, straight up grid infrastructure. Back in the day, people plugging in a million laptops into their, you know, their AC outlets at home and they were mining Bitcoin, but they were coming straight from the grid. It was like some of the most dense energy usage that you'll ever see. Since then, Bitcoin has sought more, actually the least, how to say this, less dense fuel sources year over year over year over year. And now we're firmly planted into the renewable resources. Like 56% of Bitcoin mining uses renewable energy, hydroelectric, solar, wind, you name it. But, you know, mining like natural gas off of the gas produced inside of a landfill. We're getting into some very undense territory. And my, how how does David react? David does this. How least, can we find the most least dense energy source on the face of the planet? I found it. Deadwood in a forest scattered over millions of acres. Nobody wants to do that shit. Department of Interior is not going to hire a whole bunch of prisoners to go through a forest and clean it up. That's, that has never happened. It's never going to happen, which is one of the reasons why when all these people say the following... They're going to robots and AI is going to take our jobs. This has never been a job. This has never been, even in the days of the public works administration and the freaking depression of the United States, was this ever a job? But it could hire a couple of people to go out and take care of these critters. That's a job that was never there before. Nobody ever was paid to walk through the forest and pick up dead wood. Because before, first of all, before we started messing with the forest, we didn't have to. But now that we've been messing with the forest, somebody's going to need to. 
but nobody's going to pay anybody to do it. And nobody out of their altruistic, good-natured, self-respecting you know, thing is going to go out all by themselves and do it. And if they did, they're wasting their time because there's not enough people to actually do it. So we build a system that has multiple potential revenue models that can operate all by themselves to go out and do this shit for us. And that's the forest walker system. And again, the whole reason to even bring you this is how can we start using our imaginations to think of the most wild outlandish ways to combine Bitcoin mining as a potential revenue stream into other systems that without that one piece might not ever have a hope in hell of ever being profitable. And this would be one of them. Because there are other there are other revenue streams as far as this is concerned, and let's I, I before we end today I've got I, I would be remiss if I didn't at least come up with a couple of things as to how can this possibly make any money whatsoever because you're not you're not making all your money on Bitcoin mining if you've got two thousand of these things why you're I mean if you, if you're able to carry four or five ASIC mining or mining rigs worth of ASICs on each one of these critters, unless you've got 2,000 of them, you're not going to be able to compete very well. To build four or 5,000 of these things, holy shit, talking about some serious upfront capital, capital expenditures. So there has to be other things that you can get money for. In this particular system, I've got a couple. One, and this is first and foremost, is working a contract with the United States Department of Interior to do forest fuel load management. You go up to them and you say, hey, look, I'm not going to bend you over a barrel, but we, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm offering a service that will allow you guys to not have as many forest fires. And the forest fires that do break out are forest fires that you don't really have to worry about other than, you know, possibly containing it so that it doesn't burn through, you know, people's, you know, neighborhoods. Instead of like dropping people into the center of, you know, mountain Rocky Mountain National Forest in the middle of nowhere and they're parachuting in and trying to fight this thing out in the middle of nowhere that's a lot of money. That's a lot of fuel expenditure. But if we can start getting the fuel loads squelched down and have a low time preference to do it, then maybe I can go and sell the whole project to the Department of Interior and say, this system will help manage fuel loads to the point that forest fires won't be scary and dangerous and catastrophic. I'll bet you, bet you, those contracts would be worth price of admission to this system all by itself. Second, I glanced over it at the beginning of the show. But after this thing is running through the, like all the, you know, five, let's say, let's just keep it to a thousand. A thousand of these things running, you know, walking through the forest, grazing on the wood, turning it to send gas, Bitcoin mining, and doing all the other neat things that it does. It produces something called biochar, 
not just the syngas. In the gasification process, one of the outcomes of gasification, after all of the heavy hydrocarbons have been you know, melted out of it and turned to vapor and used as fuel, there's one thing that's left behind, and that's the carbon skeleton of the wood. Now, if I have a pound of wood, oh, actually, let's say I have, let's say I have one for, let's make it metric so I can do 100. Let's say that I've got 100 grams of wood, and I convert as much of the hydrocarbons in that wood to volatilized fuel that I then use as in, in an internal combustion engine, four grams all the way up to possibly 20 grams, depending on the gasification process, will be left over as pure carbon. No hydrocarbons, because that would be hydrogen and carbon, like gas or oil. No, this is just carbon. Very much more like the charcoal that you use for a grill, except that the charcoal you use for your grill has a lot more hydrocarbons in it than you might imagine, and that's why it burns for so long. If you were to take this biochar, which is charcoal, and light it on fire and try to cook a steak, you'd light this thing on fire, you would walk inside your the house to go get the steak that you want to grill, and you would come outside, and you would have no fire because it would be that quick. There's no hydrocarbons in it. Structurally, biochar does some really cool shit. But in this particular revenue model case, we're looking for carbon credits. Right now, everybody, and and I'm talking Greta Thunberg and the guys at the UN and all the people that are hysterical about how we're all going to die because carbon dioxide is the most evil thing on the planet. They're talking about a carbon credit and the the nature of that is carbon markets. And I know we're all laughing about all this, but if these guys are going to be stupid enough to do this, I'm going to be smart enough to take advantage of it. Now, I'm going to do it in a way, and I'm about to describe it to you, that kind of makes sense, right? But I'm not going to not take their money. Now, how much is a carbon credit? What... What's been bandied about and sort of seems to be settled on over the last two years is that if I can prove to Greta Thunberg that I was able to completely sequester one ton of carbon and that it's not going to be burned and I can prove it and it's not going to get out in the atmosphere and I can prove it. And somehow or another, it's going that one ton of carbon will stay one ton of carbon and not convert to anything, any other gaseous forms, and I can do that for at least 10 years or something, I think it's somewhere around 10 years, then I get $100. The forest walker system with a thousand of these critters walking around, you're talking about tons per hour of carbon. You're talking about $100 bills being printed per hour. Now, if if and only if we can actually engage with the carbon markets and our sales and our, our provable sa- or our provable production of carbon and sequestration of that carbon can be proven, and they say yes, we'll do business with you because I don't, I kind of suspect that it's going to be a, a you know like a, a good old boys club. But if we can, then we're printing hundred dollar bills, many of them, every single day along with 
the contracts for the Department of Interior. So what what the, the way that this my the way that my thinking is built is I'm going to tell the Department of Interior I'm going to handle their fuel loads and they give me a contract to do it. That fuel load I can then convert into carbon in which I'm going to go to a different set of people and tell them, hey, um, I can prove that I'm sequestering tons of carbon in pure carbon format per day. I want my carbon credit money. And then they give me the carbon credits as money and which I can trade on the open market. I can sell them to other people who need them. Yes, that system is dumb. But if I get money out of it and they're dumb enough to do that, I'm going to take their money. Don't think for a second that I am like a 100% halo wearing angel. I will take their money. I don't think these people need to be in existence, but if as long as they are, and as long as they're going to hold out their hand with money, and as long as I can take that money, I'm going to take the money. So that's two revenue streams, Department of Interior contracts, and those contracts could extend, because chances are good, there might be a problem with the Department of Interior even allowing this to happen, which we'll get into later. But for now, let's say they do. That's one way to make money. And private forestry services, there's private forest land. They need management too. They'll pay more to make sure that that Weyerhaeuser, their forests don't burn down before they can cut all the trees down and make paper out of it. They're going to pay me money to do this shit. They don't want their forest to burn. They're going to want management. So even if the Department of Interior says, screw off, we don't want that system walking through our forest, I guarantee you I can find some private forest that will. And there will be enough fuel there to make it worth my while. Now, three, Bitcoin mining. Because all the time that this is going on, Bitcoin is being mined in the background. How much? I don't know. We, this is where we, I, I sit down and actually do numbers. Of course, I might find out that none of this shit works. But I'll bet it does. Because that's the third revenue source. And I'm not done. I'm not done by a long shot with revenue models. And I don't really need to explain the revenue model of Bitcoin mining, other than the fact that maybe, maybe we could consider this machine to machine payment system. Maybe, what if I may, what if this system makes so damn much money that I don't have to care about the Bitcoin mining? And then all of a sudden I set it up to where maybe I've got a machine, like another machine that actually goes out and fixes all of the forest walkers. Now we're getting a little bit into science fiction, but not for much longer. Machines are going to start fixing machines. Machines have been building cars for years, right? This isn't impossible. It's just maybe a little bit more improbable. But still, how do they pay for that repair work? Maybe they pay, maybe they pay the repair machine that walks around in Bitcoin. I don't know. But this is a way to start thinking, how do we fit Bitcoin with some of the most, you know, your depths of imagination. How can Bitcoin fit into that? This is how Bitcoin fits into that. This is a third revenue generating model. And it also soaks up all of the excess electricity budget that these things will. And I guarantee they will produce more energy than they actually use. I got to funnel that energy somewhere. Going to be Bitcoin mining. Data set sales. Data sets. I've got a thousand critters walking through a forest. How about I fit them with LIDAR? Every single one of them. LIDAR. Um, 
light detection and ranging, like radar. It's just a laser, except that it can detect the return of that laser and it can paint a 3D picture of what's going on. So what would I get out of a thousand LIDAR, you know, enabled critters that are all walking in the same patch of land and they're all basically their LIDARs are crossing over each other. I'm getting a full 360 degree 3D representation of the size of all of the woods. Why does that matter? Well, if I was hired by Weyerhaeuser, they would want to know how many board feet of lumber they have at any given time. I can map the whole son of a bitch for them. That's already being done. North, uh, was it Inland Northwest Forest Management Company up here where I'm living? They do that with a drone already. They just fly it over and they make a three-dimensional map. But I've got thousand of these critters on the ground So I'm getting hyper-accurate data of natural resources. Even the Department of Interior might want to know how much board feet of lumber they have. Because they could put that shit on their books. They've never been able to put that shit on their books. They've never been able to really assess and value how much this shit would be sold on for the open market. But that's not all. I'm not done. Topography. Hyper-accurate topographic maps. Those can be sold too. Why? Because they're scanning the ground. Not only are they scanning each other and the trees and all that kind of shit, they're scanning everything. 360 degrees and by 360 degrees, I'm getting a complete picture of what the hell's going on from a thousand different data points continuously. See? See what what I'm getting at? Now I have hyper-accurate topographical maps which I won't directly get into how that can actually be used, but let's say forest runoff or like, like heavy floods uh, can cause serious erosion. These types of maps can kind of forecast where you might see heavy erosion in different rain events, even in deep forests. This is part of a natural resource management plan and nobody's been able to do this because nobody's ever had the wherewithal to put a thousand different data points that are just continuously roaming the forest because there's no money in it. I think we just found a way to put money into it because I can sell those data sets to who? The Department of the Interior through the USDA, the Department of Agriculture and the Forest Service. They're going to want to know and we don't have to pay, we don't have to, you know, charge them a goddamn arm and a leg either, but enough to keep the system running and a little bit more to pay the people that actually put the whole thing together. I don't see anything wrong with that. And if they want to pay more than that, all power to them. I don't give a shit because I'm not done. I've got a thousand roving points of data collection. What else can I collect? Weather data, pressure, temperature, And even in a forest, you might want to know where the wind's blowing because a forest, you know, a forest weather ecoculture or uh, ecology is completely different than what's going on above the ground. Nobody's ever done that before either. That might be worth something. You could sell that shit. Now, along with the Department of the Interior and its fuel mitigation contracts, And the private concerns also wanting fuel mitigation contracts. Guess what else wants fuel mitigation? And that they cannot get anybody to actually do it. Townships. 
There's a little town that I go to. Yegro, we'll get to the permaculture thing. I, I promise. <clears throat> Townships. There's a little town that I go to every year in Southwest Colorado. And the fuel load in the forest that are right next to million dollar homes is exquisite. And I don't mean that in a good way. I mean, this is a forest that is already freaking burned. I mean, cat, cat, catastrophic burn, not lightly burned, not a mild burn, not the burn that I'm talking about. Like, you know, in the, before the last ice age, when we had like macrophon and shit like that. No, 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 no. No, I'm talking about the bad kind of exquisite fuel load. And it's, it's bad. And all these people almost lost their homes once. And it took hundreds of millions of dollars worth of firefighting for that shit to be mitigated. And all they did was save the town. That's all they did. System like this, because it, you know, just runs around and takes a long time to do it. You wouldn't have needed, you would not have needed the kind of fire suppression that you need that they needed when the missionary ridge fire happened in what was it 2004 was no 2001 it was like 2001 2002 somewhere around there missionary ridge fire in durango or uh, around durango colorado look it up look how bad that thing was there was a whole bunch of townships that would also enter into contractual agreements as long as it wasn't onerous and you weren't trying to just bend them over a barrel. They would love to have your services come through and take all the dead wood from around the town and then maybe even get into the town. Right? That That's another way to actually make money. Now, going back to Yegro, when he says, what does this mean for permaculture? The biochar by itself is, is an issue because here's, here's what we got. <clears throat> We've got a critter walking around inside of a forest that's grazing on wood, converting it to fuel, and it's shitting biochar and pissing wood vinegar, which I have not got into wood vinegar yet. I'm going to do an entirely separate show just on biochar as it pertains to this system. Then I'm going to do a completely separate show just on wood vinegar as it pertains to this system. But for now, all you need to know is that biochar in the soil does a couple of things. It will suck up seven times its weight in water and hold on to it, which means that wherever biochar is and the more of it that's there, the more and more drought resilient that land becomes. It has to be in the soil, but there's a lot of soil life in forests that all you really have to do is after these things come through and they continuously shit out their little pellets of biochar is just to leave it on the ground. Duff and earthworms and squirrels and all kinds of stuff are eventually going to turn that under into the first inch or half inch of soil. And as long as it's covered, you're going to get the benefits of that. And the other thing that gets benefits of biochar being in the soil is all the microfauna and flora like mycorrhizal fungi, all kinds of bacteria that fix nitrogen for trees to eat because you don't always need mycorrhizal fungi. That's not the only thing that does it. There's bacteria that do it too. Actinomycetes does it. They find a place to live, to take shelter. 
It also acts as a nutrient battery, not just a water battery. So it soaks up nitrogen and it clings onto it. It buffers pH. It does a whole bunch of shit. And again, I'll get into that. I'll get into all that in a completely different show that's coming up for this. But this show is simply to talk about how the system works, what it's supposed to do, kind of what it looks like, and how its revenue models might work. It doesn't mean that they will work, but it does mean that they might work. So biochar gives me the capacity to make a forest water resilient, nutrient resilient because it's buffered, pH resilient because it's pH buffered because of this. The amount of critters, the little tiny microscopic critters that can now find shelter where they, because we, we, you, we've been depleting our soils of carbon for a long time. It's time to put the carbon back. That's honestly where the shit belongs because it does so much when it's there. I don't need to worry about us dying because of carbon dioxide for me to love, be in love with carbon. It's my favorite element in the periodic table and always has been because it's just freaking incredible. But it's not poison. It's not dangerous. You need to have it. You need to have it to live. And so does the earth. And we need more carbon in the actual soil to retain water and nutrients and buffer pH, buffer salts, allow critters to have homes and so they can reproduce and, and become, you know, extraordinarily prolific again, like they used to be. And the soil will end up doing things that you've never imagined. And that means being able to infiltrate 10 times more water than we can see soils today infiltrate because we destroyed the That's what was supposed to happen in the forest fires. There was supposed to be a whole bunch of carbon left over too. That doesn't happen because shit burns so hot that it burns the carbon directly all the way to carbon dioxide. So you can't retain it. Now we don't even get that. So forest soils have been depleted of their carbon as well. We can put all that shit back. And put all that shit back. The amount of freaking research grants that can be written to make this shit work, to study the effects of it long-term, by itself makes it a profitable endeavor. I'm not talking about getting yachts like Jeff Bezos. I'm not talking about flying around the world in 10 different fucking planes. You, I mean, if you really want that, you're going to have to do something else. But this can make money. And it can do it in a way that anybody attached to it will be able to say, I'm carbon neutral. See how I'm helping. I don't care if they do that. As long as they give me money, I don't give a shit. And as long as I get to actually do what needs to actually be done, instead of get, having to go to a party and like hang out with Greta Thunberg, then I'm good. I'll take their money. I don't give a shit. I really don't. I want, I'd love to see this thing in action. Because the more carbon that you can put in the soil, the better off it gets. I'll do a whole show about that. I've got one already prepped. Now, wood vinegar is the P because it's liquid. It is the excrement from this system that is the liquefied form of the gasification process because there's two, two, there's four byproducts. There's syngas, there's heat, there's biochar, there's wood vinegar. Wood vinegar is a growth stimulant and a whole lot more. But I'm not going to talk about that because I need to actually draft the whole show for wood vinegar, but that comes out of this system too. So let's just, let's end here 
by saying this. Think of a cow. A cow goes around and it eats grass. It doesn't have to be directed. It knows where to go to get the grass, and it eats the grass. It has an entire system internalized to itself that takes that grass and ferments it into vitamins and fats and proteins and all kinds of stuff that the cow needs to live. After all that systematic work is done, the cow does two things. It poops out all the grass that it cannot use anymore because it's been fermented to the capacity of its rumen that its rumen allows. And it's no longer, it needs to be gotten rid of. It's now excrement. So it poops it out. What does manure do to ground? Have you ever gone and, and, and bought manure? Right? The other thing that a cow excretes after it, just as a matter of course of it doing there is urine, which is filled with what? Nitrogen, which is what? A fertilizer and also a growth stimulant. The forest walker system will work because it mimics a natural system that's already been proven. It's already been proven. The cow is the model for this system. It's just that cows cannot eat wood. They have to eat grass. This eats the wood. It fills a gap. The fact that humans had to, like, you know, have to actually build this thing, to me, I'm not upset about that. I'm not upset that God didn't make something that ate wood, produced sin gas, mined Bitcoin, shat biochar, and pissed wood vinegar. I don't need to. I don't need to be upset that that doesn't exist. Why? Because humans exist. And it's our imagination and our ability to come up with some of the most outlandish things ever and figure out ways to make them fucking work. The fact that we're here fills that gap. So the next shows are going to be about biochar and wood vinegar. And maybe we'll do another one that touches on some of the things. Like if you have questions, actually, that's what I want. The fourth show needs to be y'all's questions. So you need to get a hold of me. And you can do so. I'll, I'll give you my email. Fuck it. David.Bennett, B-E-N-N-E-T-T, dot C, at gmail.com. That, that's, my, that's the email that I use basically for all subscriptions and stuff like that. All right. I've got another email that I don't give out, but I'll give out my Gmail account. It's David.Bennett.C, as in Charlie, at gmail.com. That's David.Bennett.C. Send me your questions and not just questions. Tell me why it won't work. I need to know why you think it won't work. Don't be rude. Just say, hey, it's not going to work because of this. And until that shit is fixed, you, you, you've, got nothing but a, you know, you've got nothing but a bad idea. I want to hear those. What I don't want to hear is Bitcoin sucks. Therefore, all this shit's stupid. I, I'm not even going to respond. But if you've got a really good argument as to why this shit won't work or something else, something that you're like, I, now I've got an idea. Well, then tell it to me. I promise I don't steal people's ideas. I don't do that shit. In fact, if I had been real smart, I would have kept this one to myself. But 
an idea that you never let anybody else know about is as good as the idea that you never had. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.